Welcome to The Lowdown, a podcast of news and ideas from the Columbia Alumni Association. Each January, the most influential business, economic, and political leaders converge in Davos, Switzerland, to discuss top global issues at the World Economic Forum. This year's conference will take place January 20th to 23rd. In advance of the forum, we spoke to some previous Columbia alumni and faculty attendees to discuss the significance of the meeting. The first person we spoke to was Peter Vanham. He's a Columbia journalism graduate, and he now works for the World Economic Forum, looking after the media relationships of the forum in the U.S. Because he works for the forum, he became a kind of impromptu guide to the conference for this episode. So the first thing we asked him, what is Davos? It's a Swiss uh, ski town. It used to be a, a, a town where um, people went to, to heal from illnesses because it's very high up in the mountains in the Swiss Alps. Uh, it's actually the highest located city in Europe at, at, at over uh, 3,000 feet, I believe. Of course, if you've ever heard of Davos, it's probably not because of the skiing or elevation. It's much better known, especially here in the U.S., uh, for its affiliation to the World Economic Forum. And so every year in January, uh, the World Economic Forum gathers for its annual meeting in Davos. And, and that annual meeting... Um, brings together, I would say, the most influential uh, people from business, political, and, and, uh, uh, and society, and, and, and the academics from around the world. So that's, that's really what it does. And what they do there is discuss uh, the most important issues affecting the world uh, today and try to find ways to address them and, and, and in, in essence, to make the, the world a better place. So who exactly are these influential people? Well, we spoke to three of them. Why do you go to Davos? I go for the skiing. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) That's David Rosenberg. He's a Columbia Business School graduate and the co-founder and CEO of AeroFarms, which builds and operates vertical farms in urban areas. He's attended the meetings in Davos five times. This year will be his sixth time. Every year that he's attended, he's had a number of different roles. I've uh, been on the Global Agenda Council of Water Security, the Circular Economy Task Force, Construction Industry Task Force, uh, New Vision for Agriculture Leadership Group. But whatever the role, what he loves about Davos is the opportunity it affords people looking to make a change in the world. The World Economic Forum is fantastic at convening great people together and great people from Mostly like Fortune 500 companies, big companies, a lot of people from the investing world. But there's also like a group of NGOs, a group of people from policymakers. So it's a good cross-section of leaders that are active in making things happen. So in, in so much as you want to advance the state of the world, which is their vision, advancing the state of the world, and it's often a lot of it's certainly my my vision, what I bring, the energy I bring to my company or the organizations I'm with. It's a great place to convene with other decision makers to do just that, advance the state of the world. This is what I kept hearing from people, that this meeting can sometimes feel like you're at the center of something massive. We weren't able to record the call we had with Columbia law professor Anu Bradford, but she may have described it best. She said that being at Davos is like taking the pulse of the world. 
Peter Vanham experienced this the very first time he went to Davos. I come from Belgium, and I remember that uh, the first time I went to Davos four years ago, uh, the Prime Minister of Belgium came and uh, was hosting a reception, and he was uh, speaking about the fact that, you know, it was after the, the economic crisis and that we were having a comeback as a, as a nation and economic growth was back. Um, and at the moment that he was speaking at that reception, uh, at, the, at the very same moment, a news release came out in Belgium saying that uh, a big steel company, uh, Mittal, Arcelor Mittal Steel, one of the largest steel companies in the world, and which had a very large presence in Belgium, decided to to close one of its Belgian factories and 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 laying off, I think, uh, several thousands of people. And and that news came out, and he was informed. I, I could see it. His his, his um, assistant came to him and, and and whispered in the ear, and he said, "This just happened." Here's the crazy part: the CEO of that steel company was right next door in another meeting room. Being the good journalist he is, Peter immediately made his way to that meeting room. And two minutes later, the prime minister walked into that meeting room and, and, and informally uh, met with the CEO of that steel company to discuss that matter. So you see really very impactful things happening right there. Peter's story isn't unique. These kinds of discussions are possible at Davos simply because a large number of very important people are congregated in a very small area for a short amount of time. David Rosenberg has experienced that kind of access firsthand. Often these, there are interactions between CEOs that spark something that lead to the follow-up meetings. Um, and that's probably more typically the case than all of a sudden finalizing some deal. So that said... I have closed deals personally in Davos, but more than likely the latter is the case, which is this is the spark to other things happening. So what makes those interactions possible? David says it's the people who work there. The people that work within World Economic Forum are fantastic. So one of the reasons I like the World Economic Forum as an organization is uh, they just hire great people that advance the agenda. So often you, you enter these nonprofit areas or, where you, you have a, a meeting and then the next year or six months from now you convene in whatever group you're in and, and nothing's really advanced. And here at the World Economic Forum, because they have great people working for the forum, whatever the agenda is often advances in between the meetings. So people really take the ball, run with it, are passionate about getting things done. And that's the reason why I continue to enjoy that engagement. So discussions are sparked, connections are made, but what is actually accomplished at the meeting? Peter has an answer. Uh, more often than not, it's a starting point, uh, a middle point or an ending point for, for discussions. Um, <clears throat> and so many uh, initiatives come, come, come out of it. Um, that may not always be directly linked to to uh, uh, the week in January when the when the annual meeting happens. For example, last month in November, uh, the different uh, uh, heads of uh, automotive companies, including uh, GM and Ford, came out uh, with a statement supporting um, supporting uh, an agreement in Paris uh, on, on climate change, and and that also happened as a consequence of an initial. Uh, meeting uh, at last year's annual meeting in Davos. So many, many things uh, happen there and, and are started there and getting impetus there, um, but may not always be communicated right there and then. 
And that's, that's really, I think, the, the key message there. To discuss the starting, middle, and endpoints at Davos, we spoke to Linda Freed, who is the dean of the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia. She's been to Davos four times, and for the past nine years, she's also been a member of the Global Agenda Council on Aging. The rapid aging of populations is quickly becoming a global challenge. By the year 2050, it's estimated that the proportion of people in the world over the age of 65 will reach 22%, which will significantly affect social welfare, public health, and the economy. So that council that Dean Freed is on, that council's job, to a large extent, is to lead the discussions with businesses and governments about this challenge. So how do council members further these discussions when they're at Davos? We may lead um, discussions or participate in discussions or propose discussions. And then, of course, I, I have participated in other working groups around Davos. So there's a, a, a health governors group which has created a charter for healthy living and a whole work stream called the Future of Healthy, which I have been a member of, um, both on the steering committee and the work committee. Um, and that has led to, um, and that has been part of annual meetings of CEOs in Davos around uh, what the global agenda on health should be. According to Freed, being a dean at Columbia allowed her to do even more at Davos. For example, about five years ago, she proposed that Columbia lead a university-wide presentation in Davos in a format that the forum called Ideas Lab. Ideas Lab gives universities the chance to present a big idea, then lead the discussions of that idea from the perspectives of four different presenters. Then the audience divides into working groups to discuss it. Her proposal was accepted. And we created an Ideas Lab on Cities of the Future which President Bollinger opened, and then four different dean, deans spoke at, or three deans and a faculty member from different schools. It was actually quite exciting and well-received and was good for really rolling out um, with some visibility the work across the university on the future of cities. And because of presentations like that and her role at Columbia... I have been able to be a key player in terms of discussions around how we successfully transition it to be a world of longer lives. I think I have been able to uh, to be a significant contributor in the in the global discussion about how we invest wisely and more effectively in the health of populations has been a huge topic of conversation and why that matters to economies that people are healthy. And why does it matter? Well, from a corporate point of view, how healthy a population is determines how productive they are. And it also determines how costly it is to have an employee population uh, that you provide health benefits for. So if the population of a country or a city is ill, is too obese, then um, productivity is low and health insurance costs are high. We wanted to get another perspective on this catalyst effect that Davos has from someone in a different sector. So we spoke to Zach Sims. Zach went to school at Columbia College and is now the co-founder and CEO of Code Academy, which is an online interactive program that teaches about 25 million people around the world the technology skills they need to find jobs. 
Zach has been to Davos twice, and he was first invited because Code Academy was named a technology pioneer by the forum. And the forum honors somewhere around 10 to 15 technology companies every year uh, that they deem technology pioneers who uh, are pursuing things that um, align with the forum's mission and are in, in the forefront of their fields. And so you get invited usually for a year or two as part of that, and you get to participate uh, in the forum. And so I spoke a few times last year and a few times the year before. When Zach spoke there, he spoke about education. So Card Academy teaches people the skills they need to find jobs. Uh, a lot of what we work on solving on a regular basis and helping our 25 million users solve is uh, skills gaps. So I spent a lot of time talking uh, at both years, both on panels with education experts, so people like presidents of universities, uh, education ministers and the like, talking about how we can change the educational system, and then also with a bunch of labor leaders figuring out how to train the workforce of the future. The sense I got from everyone was that Davos was kind of like a great equalizer. People who may never have the chance to meet have that chance in Davos. And a lot of this has to do with the town of Davos itself and the shared experiences that come out of being in a very small ski town. In Davos, things that you thought would never be an issue suddenly are. Like... Your coat check. In case you didn't catch that, Peter said, your coat check. The Davos coat check is apparently a well-known, tiny point of frustration that all attendees can share. Many people standing in line because there's just one coat check, and the, the one place where you lose a lot of time is the coat check. Or, or for example, you know, what, what do you wear? Um, because the out, outside uh, appearance is formal, but the reality is that you're in a ski town, so you're walking on ice literally and snow. Um, so you have to you have to wear some boots with 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 some crampons or something that 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 gives you some stability when you're walking. So so that that makes for a very unique experience. And these unique and sometimes frustrating moments can help lead to unexpected conversations. Uh, it's only in at Davos that you that you can be waiting in line to to go to a security check, uh, and and the woman just in front of you is the is the head of the the INF Christine Lagarde, and she has to take off her jewelry. She's a very um, stylishly uh, dressed woman, and she has to take off her jewelry and and and, her, and give her bags, um, and 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 you're watching it it, it happen, and you can have a, a small chat with her. Zach had similar experiences on the Davos shuttle. Most of the classic uh, Davos stories come from people that are riding the shuttle. So the forum provides a shuttle between the hotels and the Congress Center and a bunch of the event venues. You get, you know, a whole hodgepodge of people where you could be sitting in a van with, you know, someone who runs a huge hedge fund and someone who is the president of a country and someone who runs a startup. Um, so it's a, it's a really good um, opportunity, obviously, to, to, in, to interact with a very diverse group of people who are all at the heads of their field. Each year, the forum sets an agenda or an overall theme for the conference that will provide a kind of framework for the discussions that take place. So this year's um, the central theme of the meeting is mastering the fourth industrial revolution. The World Economic Forum isn't the first to suggest that we're in the midst of a fourth industrial revolution. In Germany and Japan, people talk about Industry 4.0. So if the first industrial revolution was mechanical production in the 18th century, the second introduced mass production in the 19th century, and the third one was the computer revolution of the 1960s, 
What is the fourth industrial revolution? You could either say it's 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 a natural uh, sequence of of the computer revolution, the next stage in the computer revolution, or you could take the view that it is is really a fourth industrial revolution, and 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 indicators of that are, for example, the ubiquity of of um, the Internet of Things, uh, of sensors in all uh, forms and shapes, of three um, uh, D printing, um, of the fact that that companies are are not uh, defined anymore by what they own, but by the platform they they have. So think of there's there's global companies right now like Uber and Airbnb that have nothing on the balance sheet in terms of uh, real estate or materials. Um, it it has to do with all the evolutions in in science, nanotechnology, uh, biotechnology, and and so on and so forth. For example, the 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 slowing of global trade or the slowing of of GDP growth. If you take the perspective that uh, uh, GDP growth, that whole notion is built on the idea of uh, uh, of having more and more material things, right? Of goods, right? And and, um, and in the fourth industrial revolution, maybe uh, there is no measurable increase of the goods that you have. Everything is getting smaller, as a matter of fact, right? So things are getting faster, better, but they're getting smaller. So. So, so many different things that we've taken for granted and, and, and by which we see the world um, uh, may go through a complete uh, change, this fourth industrial revolution. And it makes, and, and it, it really, it's really a paradigm shift, if, if you will. And so having people look at the world in a different way, I think that, that's, that's the, the goal or, or the outcome of, of this year's meeting. This podcast was produced by the Columbia Alumni Association. Columbia University is a mecca of great ideas in one of the world's greatest cities. And with over 320,000 Columbia alumni who are leaders in every field imaginable and spread across the world, the Columbia Alumni Association brings you the latest musings, updates, and insights from Columbia University. Learn more about the Columbia Alumni Association at alumni.columbia.edu. And to get even more news and ideas from Columbia, check out the lowdown.alumni.columbia.edu.